Thank you. you. may be seated. Uh, we're in a, a study here of God's Word, and we're calling it Destinations. And uh, we have used uh, two, two men uh, in the Old Testament as the kind of the life situation story. Uh, the two greatest kings uh, that Israel ever had, King David and King Solomon. In uh, 1, 000, about 1000 B.C., uh, they built the most powerful empire in their world. It was the kingdom of Israel. They had defeated all their neighbors, and here were King David, King Solomon. They were, they were powerful. They were prosperous. Uh, we would say today they were living the dream, or so it seems. They also experienced major crises and setbacks and disappointments and dreams that did not come true, just like you, just like all of us. And friend, the reality is that, you know, when you're in the life journey here on earth, from time to time, you're going to find yourself with dreams that aren't coming true. You're going to find yourself on the boulevard of broken dreams. We talked about that last week. We all do that. Not all of our plans are going to succeed. Not all of our dreams are going to come true. When I was a boy, I had dreams. I wanted to I dreamt that I'd be a cowboy and an African lion safari leader. I dreamed that I would play for the New York Yankees, the Boston Celtics, and win a gold medal in the Olympics. Hey, what was your childhood dream? Did you get yours? As teens, our dreams start to refine and change a little bit. Okay, then we start dreaming about getting a car and getting a good job and getting accepted at the college that we dreamed about and a full scholarship. Did it happen? As adults, our dreams change even more, don't they? We want to get in a good career. Some of us, we want to get married. We want to have 2.3 kids. We want to have a second home in the mountains or on the beach or drive a Harley, right? And we not only have dreams for ourselves as adults, we have dreams for our children too, don't we? Uh, that, that's, that's why you paid for those piano lessons. That's why you hired a batting instructor for your kid when he was in t-ball, Okay. We all have dreams. But what happens when the lights go out on our dreams? A, a couple's dream of falling in love, getting married, and living happily ever after. But, happen, but what happens when all that sweet love turns sour? We keep on dreaming. Spouses say, well, <laughs> you know... The problem is, I married the wrong one. I'll find another right one to give me my dream. But all too often, that dream boat turns out to be a shipwreck too. And then in the third marriage, the marriage counselor says, you know, you've recited here what's going on. You know, there's, there's only one common denominator in your three unhappy marriages, and it's you. And we say, wrong, it's not me, can't be me. 
A lot of people dream of a successful business career just taking off. What do you do when it doesn't happen and you have to close the doors? A parent dreams of of their children having happy homes and families, but it turns into a nightmare when their daughter says, I want to marry him, and you know him as a creep. What do you do when your dream's not happening? Hit the bottle? Take some pills? The river of disappointment that flows in our life, you know what the problem is? It can become a raging flood of anger in your life. And when it does, you've got to release it. And you're going to take it out on your family, on those you work with. Dead dreams. We all have them. The problem is they lead to disappointment. The disappointment, if not if not properly cared for, can lead to depression. And depression leads to anger. And see, friend, these are emotions that are so powerful. They'll wreck your health. They'll wreck your marriage. They'll wreck your kids. They'll wreck your job. They'll wreck your life. Do you have any conflicts in your family? Of course. And probably someone or everyone in your family has a broken dream. And you see your friends, it looks like all their dreams are coming true, but not yours. And so what are we tempted to do when we find ourselves now? We are tempted to do two terrible things. The first is turn on our own family. It's your fault. Friend, blaming others will never get you the dream that you desire. The second thing is blaming God, getting mad at Him, deciding that there's no use going to church because this Christian thing is not working. You're not getting what you want. And see, we know God could fix this. God can do anything. God could fix this if He really loved me. Yes, he could. He could fix it. But it wouldn't do any good because he's trying to heal you and prepare you for the next dream that starts to die. Friend, we're all in this. You are not alone. You are not the only one who's living with some broken dreams. And friend, you're in the right place today. Why? Because God loves you so much and he doesn't want your life destroyed and he wrote all about that. And he gave us the lives of people as an example and what they went through so that we could understand and see. See, all those spiritual giants in the Bible, every one of them faced broken dreams just like you. And they show us what we can do so that we don't let broken dreams turn into broken families and broken health and broken careers and broken finances 
in a broken relationship with God or people that we love. This is important. Now, last week, we looked at David. We looked at young David. We looked at a story of him that starts when he's 17 and ends when he's about 22. And we looked at the fact that he took a wrong turn, okay? And he ended up on that, that boulevard of broken dreams. And what did he do then? He made it worse. He took matters into his own hands. He, he started doing it his way instead of God's way. And he suffered tragic, tragic consequences and suffered them for the rest of his life. And so we've been talking these five weeks about the path principle, okay? What's that? The path principle, that direction determines what? That the choices you, you make today, what you do today, determines where you're going to end up tomorrow and for the rest of your life and for eternity. And so now we want to jump from uh, 1 Samuel to 2 Samuel chapter 15. And now it's 30 years later. Daniel, David, excuse me, is in his late 40s or his early 50s, okay? And the older, wiser, more humble David that we're looking at today, he shows us what we can do when our dreams die. David's in his 40s, okay, and he is rich, he is powerful, everything. It was, as we say today, it was all good. And then his oldest son, Amnon, fell for his gorgeous half-sister named Tamar. Now, you already know this is not going to end up good, don't you? Tamar refused his advances. I'm giving you the context here of uh, 2 Samuel 15. Tamar refused Amnon's advances. And so what did Amnon do? He did what we humans do. He came up with a plan to get what he wanted, even though he knew it wasn't what God wanted. Amnon pretended to be sick. He sent word to Tamar to bring some of her delicious, famous, miraculous chicken soup. When Tamar showed up, Amnon forced himself on her. He raped his half-sister. And after that, of course, he despised her. He disgraced her publicly. Now, Tamar's other brothers, one of her other brothers was named Absalom. He found out. And his anger just seethed toward his brother Amnon. Amnon was the firstborn. He was the heir to the throne. And Absalom, he's just beside himself with anger. And he, and he schemed revenge for two years. And after two years, he invited Amnon and all of his other brothers for, to a lavish banquet. And then when everyone was dull from drinking too much wine, Amnon had his servants beat Amnon to death in front of all his other brothers. Absalom got his revenge. It was his plan to get what he wanted. He got his revenge for murdering his brother. But because he did, he had to flee for his own life now. He had to go live in exile in a foreign country. And when David heard all this news, he was heartbroken. One son is murdered. The murderer is another son. David didn't know what to do. For two years, David 
King David's advisor and captain of his army saw David, David just dying inside. One son's dead, the other's in exile, and he can't see them, and he loved them both. So the captain of the army worked out a plan to bring Absalom home. He got a pardon for Absalom so Absalom could come home. Absalom came home, but instead of being grateful, he was bitter. Because then David would not appoint him to be the heir to the throne. What do we do when God doesn't give us what we want? Absalom came up with his own plan to get his dream. And that brings us to 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him as an entourage. He would get up early in the morning and he would stand by the side of the road that was leading to the gates of Jerusalem. And whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? And the complainer would answer, well, your servant's from one of the tribes of Israel. And then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid, they're proper, but there's no representative of the king to hear you. And then he would add this. If only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who had a complaint or a case could come to me and I would see that they received justice. Also, whenever anyone approached him, to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out, take his hand, hold him up, and kiss him. That was the custom. That was not uh, weird at all. That was a sign of respect. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And so he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. Absalom plotted to overthrow his father. How? By kissing up to every, everyone. By stealing the hearts of the people. And then, after four years, he made his move. Verse 7. At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow that I made to the Lord. While your servant was living in Geshur, that's when he was in exile, I made this vow. If the Lord ever takes me back to Jerusalem... I will go and worship the Lord in Hebron. The king said to him, go in peace. So he went to Hebron. Why? To worship the Lord? No. To mass his army for the coup. Verse 10. Then Absalom sent secret messages throughout the tribes of Israel to say, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, that, that's the signal. Then you say, Absalom is king in Hebron. And 200 men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They'd been invited as guests and went quite innocently, knowing nothing about what Absalom was really doing. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor to come from Gila, his hometown. And so the conspiracy gained strength, and Absalom's following kept on increasing. And finally, a messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. David got the news. Your son's starting a war to take away your kingdom. 
David's dream of passing his empire over to a trusted son was dead. Ever had your heart ripped out like that? Maybe you got called into the office of the boss and it wasn't for a promotion. Maybe you got an email from a friend, someone you thought was going to be your friend forever. Maybe you got a call from the bank. Maybe you got a call from the police at 2 a.m. saying, uh, your son is down here, you need to come. Maybe you got served divorce papers. What do you do? What David do? Now, his natural response? Hey, send out his army. Put down the rebellion. David had a powerful army. A powerful army. He defeated all the other nations around them. I mean, Absalom's ragtag army of rebels would have been no match for David's army. But David knew that mobilizing his army would cost him many, many thousands of lives. And it would probably cost him the life of his rebel son that he still loved. What do you do? It seemed hopeless. Ever been in a lose-lose situation? The revolt needed to be crushed, but it would cost him his son, and David's dream was dead. What did he do? Verse 14. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we've got to leave, we've got to flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he'll move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city of Jerusalem to the sword. So what did David do? He decided to pack up his family and leave and retreat and tuck his tail, his head between his, his tail and flee. And his advisors, they couldn't believe it. David, what, what are you talking about? You can't do that. Let's come up with our plan to stop this. Why in the world would you flee now? You're the king. You can win this war. And David's answer was simple. I'm doing it to save thousands of lives here in the city. I'm doing it to save your life. I, I'm doing it to save this city, God's city, from being destroyed. So David put on beggar's clothes and slinks out in the, into the night in this, leaving this magnificent city that he had built. He gives up his throne, he gives up his honor, to save lives. You see, David had learned his lesson back when he was 22, when he took matters into his own hands, when he came up with his own plan to get the dream that he had. And David had decided, I'm not going to take matters into my own hand again. I'm going to do what I believe God wants me to do, not what I want to do. Verse 24, Zadok was there. 
and all the Levites, those are the priests, all the priests were, who were with him carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the Ark of God, and Abiathar, another priest, offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. Uh, again, Zadak and Abiathar, they were, they were head priests, and, and they're fleeing with David. And, and they came up with a, a plan, their plan. Hey, let's take the Ark of the, God, of the Covenant of God with us. You know what it is. It's that golden box with Ten Commandments inside. And it was the symbol of God's presence. God dwelt there with his people in the Holy of Holies. And it was so holy. That ark was so holy as a symbol of God's holiness that God had told them to keep it in the Holy of Holies. But the priest thought it would be a good plan to take the ark for added protection. You know, kind of like a good luck charm. But God had said that the proper place for the ark was the Holy of Holies, not the battlefield. And the priests, they had good intentions. And they came up with a good plan. But it was, just, it was their plan, not God's plan. It was disobedience. And David had learned his lesson. That thinking that, well, a little disobedience isn't going to hurt me. But that's a lie. He learned his lesson that my way is better than God's way. If I do it God's way, I'm really going to suffer. No, it's a lie. Verse 25, then the king said to the priest, Zadok, hey, take the ark of God back into the city where it belongs and put it back in the temple. If I have found favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back. And let me see that ark again in his dwelling place again. But if God says, David, I'm not pleased with you, then I'm ready. Let God do to me whatever seems good to him. My will is second to God's will in my life. David is saying, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to let him work things out together for good like he promises. Because I tried to do that myself and it doesn't work. Let God do to me whatever seems good to me. Either way, whatever happens, I will not abandon God. I am willing to abandon my dream. But I'm not willing to abandon my God. I'm willing to abandon my dream, but I'm not willing to disobey the God who loved me and created me and gave his life for me. I'm willing to abandon my dream, but I'm not willing to abandon my relationship with God. And I'm not willing to abandon an eternal reward for a temporary dream. Wow. Do you see how powerful that is? And we're all tempted in those times of crisis and, and, and discouragement and depression to, to go after that dream no matter what we have to do to get it, including disobeying God. So what's this human response that God is looking for when our dreams die? To take matters into our own hands? No. To do it our way instead of God's way? No. Friend, when your dream dies, don't disobey God. Be like David. Determine, 
I am going to take whatever God does as what is best for my life. Doing our will instead of God's will leads where? Direction determines destination. What is, where does doing our will, taking that path, where does that lead? It leads to deadly detours. And friend, you and I have probably had them, haven't we? Times when we, weren't re- we hadn't done what God asked us to do, and we knew we weren't close to God and following closely. But God in his mercy still loved us, and he, he forgave, and, and he worked, and he spared our life, and he, he continued to pour out his blessings on us. But we experience detours away that we suffer for. And those deadly, those, uh, deadly detours can lead to dead ends. Not temporary, dead ends. What happened? Absalom gathered his army. And he took them out into the fields to fight. <laughs> All right? David. Well, David knew a thing or two about fighting in the fields. As a shepherd boy with a bear and a lion. As a as the general of his army when they were being attacked by foreign nations. And friend, it was no contest. David's army won a resounding victory. And thousands of lives were saved because they were out in the fields and not in the city of Jerusalem. And the city of Jerusalem was not destroyed. And the right king was put back on the throne instead of the wrong king. God worked it out. God accomplished his will. Not David. God did. David refused to put his dream above God's plan. David said, I'm going to trust God. Whatever he does to me, it's the best for me. Whatever I do that's not in line with God's plan and God's will for my life, it won't be best. And I'll regret it. Jump ahead a thousand years. One thousand years later, there was a descendant of David, a great, 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 great grandson. And he prayed the same kind of prayer in a garden. He knew he was going to die on a cross the next day. And he didn't want to die. But what did he pray? Father, not my will. Thine be done. I'm not going to do this my way. I could do it my way. I could call a legion of angels to come out and deliver me. I'm not going to do it my way. Not my will. Thine be done. And friend, the best like you can have, it is not the one where you get all your dreams. I'm glad I'm not a cowboy. (laughs) Job security is terrible. I'm glad I don't play for the New York Yankees. Forgive me all you Yankees fans, but I don't like the Yankees anymore. (laughs) Forgive me, please. Friend, your best life is not where you get all your dreams. 
It's where you get God's divine plan for your life. And the best thing is giving up petty dreams that only last for a little while and really don't matter. The best plan, the best life is giving up petty dreams for God's perfect divine plan for our lives and for eternity. When our dreams die, they will. They do, they have, they do, they will. When our dreams die, we come up with the wrong way to try to resurrect it. I, I, I got this dream. I'm a, I, got, I got to do whatever I can to get it. It's a terrible decision to make. We need to be wise enough to not turn our back on God when we don't get what we want. Don't walk away from God. Don't do it your way. Do it God's way. Never let that, that raging river of, of disappointment and, and depression and anger and bitterness destroy you and your children and your grandchildren, your marriage. Come to the place that David did when he said, let God do whatever he wants to do because that's the best thing that can happen to me. Come to the place where our Savior said, Father, not my will, thine be done. When you come to that place, when, you come to, when we come to the place of saying, not my will, then we come to the best place we can be. And God becomes real to us. And see, the reality is, see, God, God can't be second place to what you want. Because if, if God is second place, then he's not your God. You are. You're your God. Your dream is your God. God needs to be God. Let God be God. Let him do the great things he wants to do. And only he can do, not you. Don't trade your dream for temporary pleasure or riches or acclaim or relationships or money or whatever. Don't ever let that dream take you away from God's eternal plan for you. Don't trade your petty dreams for God's supernatural blessings. May we all pray, God, not my will, thine be done. Thine is best, shall we pray. Lord, <clears throat> discouragement, uh, dead dreams, they are, they are so powerful. When a dream dies, we, we, we're willing to do anything to try to resurrect it. And, and that'll lead us to do things we should not. Things that we would suffer for for the rest of our lives. God, help us to look at the life of David here and say, yes, God, that's what I'm going to do. Help us to look at our, our supreme example, the Lord Jesus Christ, who didn't want to die, who could have escaped the cross by calling for all those angels, but he didn't because it wasn't God's will. Not my will, Father, thine be done. Friend, I hope you have a relationship with God today. You can have, you can be right with God. You can have all your sins forgiven by coming to his son, Jesus Christ. He, he's, God sent him to this earth to die for our sins, and he's the only savior there is. Nobody else died for the sins of the world. Nobody else died for your sins, and, and then God raised him up to prove that he'd accepted it. Only one, only Jesus. He's the only forgiver. 
Accept him as your Savior. Accept him as your Lord. Follow him every day. His way is the right way, the best way, the only way to God the Father forever and ever. Lord, help us. Help us to go your way and not our own, to do your will and not what we want. In Jesus' name, amen. We conclude.